All right, everybody go ahead and open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Sorry? Oh, did I confuse the days again? Are we doing Revelation on a Sunday? Revelation chapter 3, we're looking at part 2 of something we began last week. Talking about what again? What kind of character trait? Wow, that was a weird conglomerate of bizarre utterings and things that I'm not even quite sure are words, but close. I did hear Carson say brotherly kindness, so I trust that everybody else meant that too. I titled this study uh, Body of Brothers just because it's kind of a play on words from the, the phrase of the, the book and the TV series Band of Brothers, if any of you have seen it. It's a World War II, uh, just epic, sprawling tale of what soldiers went through in Easy Company when they fought over on the German side of the, of the war. And uh, the, the term Band of Brothers actually comes from a quote from a play. Anybody know what the play is? Any of you musical people in here? Don't uh, close. You got the author right. You did get the author right, Shakespeare. Henry the Eighth, actually. Henry the Eighth had a quote where he's talking about these men that he served with. He goes, "We happy few, we band of brothers." And he said, "Who is my brother? But he who sheds his blood on the battlefield for me. That is my brother." And I am instantly reminded of what did Christ say in John about giving your life for your friends? Greater love, greater kindness, in other words, hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, for his brothers. Body of brothers. That ought to be the business that we are involved in as it pertains to the people that are within this room and the people that aren't here that are a part of this ministry. We ought to be willing to lay down our lives for them. We ought to be willing to consider others. And that's what we talked about last week as a recap of part one. If we want genuine unity, we must elevate the needs of others over our own. That's what Philippians 2 talks about. We saw that in John, 1 John chapter 4. And in letter B, we looked last week at the need to be intentional and earnest you can't just have brotherly kindness by osmosis. It's not just going to happen. It's not just going to happen, and we can't be reactive. We talked a lot about proactive versus reactive in this Sunday's class, or in this Sunday series, rather. You know, there are certain things that you need to take the first step forward in and be proactive on. And there are other things where God, like when you're going through a trial of patience, He initiates that, and you have to be reactive the way that you respond, by dealing with it patiently. But this is something we need to be proactive on. We need to be intentional in the way that we care for each other. We must. We have to be earnest as we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember we talked last week about the definition of kindness. About considering other people's wants. Considering uh, and desiring to achieve uh, their happiness over your own, as though they were your own brother or sister. That's what it is. And really, I feel like I should have probably titled this The Impossible Part 3. To consider others, especially people who are not your blood relation in this room, as though they are your blood relation, that's difficult. That's difficult. And you guys will understand this when you get older and you get married. How, yes, you'll have so many things in common with your spouse, 
but at the same time, they're not your blood. And so you'll find certain things where you start, you know, getting to know them more and, and how you're starting to, to, you know, whether it's get used to, oh, you, you just leave your clothes or the dishes in the sink like that? Yeah, I do. I always have. Oh, okay. And then you have to work those things out. It's really fun. You guys are going to love it. But you know what becomes so evident and it's so absolutely easy to do? When you guys have kids, you will fully understand what it means to unconditionally love somebody. You have a glimpse of it now because of how Christ loves you. But I'm telling you, once you have kids and you see your flesh and your blood, it's one of those things where it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how <laughs> enraging they might make you feel sometimes. You will look at them and be like, oh, really pressed my buttons today, but I love you. And there's nothing you can do that's going to cause me to stop loving you. Because they're your blood. It's just there's something about it. It's easier. It's not so easy with the people in this room because they're not your blood. But understand, we have been called, based upon what we looked at last week and what we're going to conclude with today, to love each other as though every single person in this room is of your own blood and your own flesh. That is impossible. Because we're flawed sinners. And we're all selfish by nature. We need to take our eyes off of ourselves and look upon the needs of others and meet their needs more than our own. And before we jump into point number two, let's go ahead and pray. Oh, Father, I have not the strength in me for everything that lies ahead for today. Um, I am incredibly weak right now, but I'm reminded that is the absolute best place to be because it can't be of me. I can't rely on my own wits or my own intellect or my own knowledge or wisdom. It has to be strictly through the power of the Spirit of God. And so, Lord, I'm just asking that you would, uh, as I lay myself down right now, put me up on that cross. May I be crucified under this world and this world unto me. Let me be as a dead man right now because I'm feeling it already. And I just ask that you would have your way with me. You'd have your way with this class, this lesson. And please, Lord Jesus, speak to us through your word today. Lord, honestly, this might be the most important message out of any of them that we've looked at on this Sunday morning series. Because as I mentioned last week, if we fail here, we fail to finish well. If we do not have brotherly kindness within these four walls, in this ministry, we will fail. We will not have a selfless and, and, and unconditional love for the lost world. We will not have charity, which is what concludes this list out in 2 Peter. We're going to look at next week. So please, if you need to knock some of us around today, do it. I'm trusting you, and I'm asking you to please be strong in my weakness. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you can tell from the screen here, I used this recently, this painting. Anybody know what it uh, has connection to? Thank you, Sam. Church history. Which specific period of church history? The Philadelphian Church Age. This is a picture from the Philadelphian Church period, and it was actually done during the Philadelphian Church period. You know how you can tell? You can tell what's going on. It's so crystal clear. Somebody didn't... Nothing against abstract art, but no one came up to a canvas and put like three triangles and then a can of paint and just splashed it on there and called it a day. 
I mean, you look at that and you're like, I don't understand. It's three triangles and a splash. Oh, it's supposed to represent the existentialism of mankind and his search for meaning in this life. Uh oh. <laughs> I, I just thought it was three triangles and some paint splashed on a canvas. But this is clear. You can tell what's going on which is so much a representation of the Philadelphian church period. Things were clear. Why? Because the Bible was back in the hands of the common man. And it made things clearly. The entrance of thy words giveth forth what? Light. Are you shining your light? And you can clearly tell what's going on. Whereas in Laodicea, what does those three triangles and that paint splash on the canvas mean? Oh, it means whatever you want it to mean. It meant something different for me than it does you, but that's okay. The difference, even just from art, it preaches a message on just the difference between the church back in 1500 and 1900 versus the church of today. Now, why do I have this up here, and why do I have you in Revelation chapter 3? We're talking about brotherly kindness. And what one word, as we saw last week, summarizes brotherly kindness? Philadelphia. So let's go back and look, devotionally speaking, how this passage to this church applies to us as it means to applying brotherly kindness. We know what it means historically and doctrinally, but how can we take this passage and apply it to us today, right now in 2022, for solid? So application, anoint thine eyes, Revelation 3, 7 through 12. And by the way, did you notice? I don't have the little googly font like I have every single week. It's clear because we're getting to the end of this series. We're getting to the end of this list. And as you've been adding these things to your faith, you should have vision and eyesight to properly see where you're going in life. The letter A. Can I get a reader to read verses 7 through 8? Revelation chapter 3. Carson. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, mm. and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. I love it. We talked about this in church history, how this church from 1500 to 1900, they possess the key of David. The key of David is a love for the word of God and it's obedience thereunto. Again, John 14, 15 is a huge passage, not only in my life. I remember again, when I, two years of not walking with God, but yet somehow, strangely enough, I had memorized this verse Although I don't remember reading it at all, and I don't remember actually devoting time to sit down and be like, all right, John 14, 15, okay. All right, I got the memory verse down. Check. Never. Must have just heard it, and the Spirit of God hang on, hung on to it. It's like, I'm going to use that for a set time in the future when you really need it, Corey. And it was at a campfire at the end of camp where I stood up and I realized, John 14, 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. If I'm not walking in obedience with God, if I am not walking with Him on a regular daily basis, then I can't say that I love Him. You think about that in light of what that means for how much love He has shown you and how much love He has shed abroad upon your heart and soul. When I realized that, and I spent two years of my life just dragging the name and the face of Jesus Christ throughout the mud and the sin that I was doing, broke me. You know what? Fellowship is key to your walk. If you have the key of David and you're walking with God, you better be in the fellowship of believers. You better be in fellowship with the people in this room. 
It's commanded. We'll see that later on today. That's what the key of David is. Letter A, Philadelphians hold fast to that key of David, knowing that it opens doors no man can shut. Friendships that no man can shut. A three-chord three bond, it says, or a three-chord uh, string in Ecclesiastes, it's not easily broken. The more friends, the more believers that you have that are like-minded, of one mind, of one accord, as Philippians 2 says, the more that you strengthen those bonds, it's not easily broken. You're not going to be shattered when things go upside down in your life because you will have a body or a band of brothers with you. That's what they do. Even when they have a little strength, they keep the word of God and has not denied thy name. I love it. So how do we do this? Well, just like the Philadelphians, they had to first be willing to let Christ in in letter one. Letter one, number one. We must be willing to let him in first. Oh, I love obscure passages like this that we don't read every single day. Song of Solomon 5.4. Talking about Solomon, who is a picture of Christ, the Shulamite bride, a picture of the church, says this, My beloved put in his hand by the hole of the what? You have a key of David, it opens doors that no man can shut. And my bowels, my heart, my soul, everything that was within me, it was moved for him. Oh, I love it. See, Jesus Christ had kindness on you as though you were his brother. Because like the verse we mentioned at the beginning, greater man hath no love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He was talking about the life that he would lay down for you. He looked at you. Though you were a sinner, though you were an enemy of God, he looked upon you with kindness as though you were his brother and laid down his life for you. He had kindness on us. We show him kindness likewise by opening up the door of our heart when he comes a-knocking, which is something, as you've just seen from church history, this church in this day and age is not doing. Nobody wants to let Christ in, though they think they're letting him in. They think that Christ is preeminent in their life, that he has all of the authority and the control, but it's just a whole bunch of hyped-up emotionalism. It's all it is. No, to be close with God, it's not what we do on stage with the smoke machines and the full band doing jamming out worship songs for an hour and a half and then a 15-minute little message sermonette. No, it's having someone who is willing to open up the door of their heart to be vulnerable with Christ first and to say, Lord, you have your way with me. I'm yours. I am a purchased possession of yours. Have your way. Turn over to, hold your place in Revelation 3. Turn over to 1 Chronicles 29. Here is an example of people who were willing to open up to God and look at the result it caused. Love this. 1 Chronicles 29. Look at verse 1. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. There is a great and effectual work ahead of us, solid. We're going to be losing about 15 seniors here in a little bit. Well, you guys will still be with us till after camp, but you guys know what I mean. We're going to be getting a few coming in. 
We have a lot of work ahead of us. There's still so much more land left to conquer. What's this work he's talking about? For the palace is not for man, but the Lord God. He's talking about building the temple. David says in verse 2, Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God. And he lists all of it. All the things that are needed to build the temple. Verse 3, Moreover, because I have set my affection his heart, his bowels, as Song of Solomon says, to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God. Check this out. Over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. And he ends, look at the bottom of verse 5. He's talking about where his heart is for the temple building process. For his God, and he issues this challenge to the people that are listening to him. And who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? In other words, who's ready to sell out everything that you are for him because of how great he is and what he's done for you? Who's willing to consecrate, to make solid, to make firm his service unto God this day? Not tomorrow, not the beginning of the next school year, not at camp. No, this day, right now. I love it. What a commander. Jump down to verse, actually, no, look at verse 6. The chief of the fathers and the princes, here's their response. The tribes of Israel and the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the rulers of the king's work, offered, what? Willingly. And they gave for the service of the house of God everything they had. Jump down to verse 9. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. You and I, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're not building a physical temple. No, you and I are the temple. Which means that you and I are in the temple building process, just like that old Old Testament story of the Israelites were. Seeing people saved so that the Holy Spirit can indwell their temple, and then building them up, so that they can be matured, so that they too can offer themselves willingly unto their God to partake in the temple building process. That's discipleship. You know what one word in the Bible means to build up? Anybody know this from discipleship? Edify. You know what you do to edify? It involves other like-minded believers to build them up to encourage those around you not just to keep to yourself and not just to keep to your little circle of us four and no more others for the great work that lies ahead of us we need to offer ourselves willingly to him so that we can offer ourselves willingly to each other so that we can offer ourselves willingly to the rest of the world. That leads into point two. 
We must willing to let him in first, and then he gives us a heart willing to give to the brethren. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Again, keeping your place in Revelation 3, we're not done yet. Again, this only happens if you possess and hold the key of David. That love for the Word of God and obedience thereunto. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. When you have a willing heart to let him in first, God gives you a heart willing to give to the brethren, like in this passage here in Acts eleven twenty nine. Then the who? Disciples. Every man according to his ability determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. You know how they showed brotherly kindness? When they saw their brothers were in need, they gave. They offered their help. They offered their assistance. They offered their counsel. They just offered to be there as a listening ear. And again, they didn't do something that they didn't have the strength or they didn't have the time, or they didn't have the money to do. No, they gave according to their ability. We talked before in Luke chapter 19, the parable of the, the guys who stand before the judge, Christ. He, was given, he gave them all talents, and it's a picture of the judgment seat of Christ. Every disciple, every man got the same riches. They got the same amount. Everybody has been given the same Holy Spirit. Everybody's been given the same Word of God. But they all achieve something different from one another. You know what the principle of that is? God doesn't expect you all to achieve the exact same thing. God doesn't expect you to all be like each other or to have the great accomplishments of some and not the other. No. You know what God just expects you to do? To do something with what He's given you based upon your ability. He continues here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Can I get a reader for verses 1 through 3? Kendall. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed onto the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction, mm -hmm. the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Yep. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Jump down to verse 12. Go ahead and read that, Kendall. For if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Again, ability. Everybody can do something for somebody else in this room. You don't have to save them from whatever deep trouble they're in. Maybe all you can do is just be a listening ear to them. And guess what? Sometimes that's enough. Sometimes that's enough. There are so many times in our marriage where... Again, this is just something with guys. You want to fix the problem. Because if you fix the problem, then everything's all peachy keen. In your mind, at least. But there are times where I need to realize that Heather's really fine. She doesn't need the problem fixed. Actually, she already has the situation figured out of how she's going to handle it. She just needs me to just listen. Just to be a listening ear. And that's enough to help. You just doing that... For somebody in here, might just be all they need. Don't be overwhelmed by, oh, I need to fix this for them. No, just be there and be used of God. You know what? If you're willing, 
God will take you beyond your power. Look what he says again in verse 3. For to their power I bear record, the strength they had, the ability they had. But look what he says. Yea, and beyond their power. When God took over and gave them abundant strength to press on so that they could give more to the brethren. But it starts with what he ends there in verse 3. They were willing of themselves. And please don't miss verse 2. Did you see it? Did you look at this? Verse 2. How that in a great trial of what? Affliction. The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. You know what he's saying there? That with the trials of patience, their great affliction, they had through joy, godliness, because my joy I will give unto you, Jesus says in John 14, they had godliness so that now they could show brotherly kindness. But it had to come through those trials of affliction, had to come through that patience that they needed to add to their faith. And if they responded well to it, they, became, they came out of the other side of that storm, more like Christ, godly, had his joy, so that then they could give that joy away to other brothers who need it. You ought to read 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This entire book is incredible with this kind of stuff. About how 2 Corinthians 1 talks about the consolation that you have received, whether from God, when you come through a storm in life, you are to give it away to others in need who are going through a similar storm. What scripture verses got you through? Give it to them. Help them. Love it. Number three. Even to those who have wronged you in the past. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 3. Yes, we're going back to Revelation 3. Don't lose your spot. 1 Kings chapter 3. Oh, man. Here's a doozy of a story for you. Showing kindness to your brothers who have wronged you. Quite literally, Genesis 43.30. And Joseph, remember him? Remember how all of his brothers treated him? Sold him into slavery? Left him for dead? When they finally come to Joseph, when he is a prince, when he is leading in Egypt... He has the power to give them food or to take food away from them. And guess what? There's a great famine in the land and all of his brothers come forth to him. They don't realize it's him. But it's kind of a picture of the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment when you think about it. Hmm. Great picture there. And he's standing on the, sitting on the throne and he's asking him, where's your other brother? There comes a point in Joseph when his heart moves for his brothers who did him wrong, he made haste. He had to actually leave, for his bowels did yearn upon his brother. And he sought where to weep, and he entered into his chamber and wept there. Now you think about that verse in light of the fact that Joseph is the greatest type of Jesus Christ in all of the Bible. There's not one thing mentioned about him that he did wrong. That's how he feels. That's how Jesus Christ feels about you when you start thinking that this temple is not the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of you, which is of God, and ye are your own. 
When you start thinking that and you start living and doing things that are not pleasing to him, this is how you make him feel. Weeping. 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about quenching the Spirit. Ephesians 4 talks about grieving the Spirit when you sin or when you don't do things that you should be doing. His bowels yearn upon you as His brother, just as Joseph did. Now you think about that when you told her, turn a cold shoulder to someone in here that has need. What that does to His heart. These things ought not to be enlisted amongst us. 1 Kings chapter 3. So, the significance of this, the context of this is Solomon just became king and he says, I ask one thing of you, God. He could have said anything, but he said, Lord, I, wanna, I want to have wisdom. God puts that wisdom to the, check, to the check here, to the test. Look at verse 16. There came there two women that were harlots. Oh, great. Unto the king and stood before him. And the one woman said, Oh, my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house. Okay, so they're harlots, which means they're prostitutes or whores, and they dwell in a house. You get the picture? It's not like a, a, a you know, a, a house of well repute. No, it's a house of ill repute. It's a whorehouse. And I was delivered of a child with her in the house. So two of these harlots had children. And it came to pass the third day after that I was delivered that this woman was also delivered. And we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, save we two in the house. Get the picture? And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while thine handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. And when I rose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. And when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I did bear. And the other woman said, Nay, but the living is my son. See, so get the picture. No, the living child's mine. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. Quite a dilemma. What would you do if you were in a situation like that? You know what? Solomon has a solution to that. Jump down to verse 24. And the king said, Bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one, and half to the other. Uh, just mind you, this is the wisest man who ever lived, suggesting that we saw a child in half and give half to the one and half to the other. He's going somewhere with this. Verse 26. Oh. Then spake the woman whose the living child was unto the king. For her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said... Now, this is the real mother talking. Oh, my Lord, give her the living child and in no wise slay it. But the other, the one who's not the mom, she said, ah, let it neither be mine or thine, but divide it. And the king answered and said, give her the real mom, the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Uh, remind me again, what does Hebrews 4.12 say? For the word of God is quick 
and powerful and sharper than any what? Two-edged sword. It pierces even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You produce a sword, you'll get down to the real motive of why people do things that they do. You produce a sword in your life, you'll realize why you're still struggling with that sin or why you are more prone to be with this group of people, lost worldly friends, as opposed to the people here. Produce a sword, you'll get wisdom out of it. But out of all of that, that's a good doctrine application, but let's get to the heart of it. This woman, the mother, for the sake of her fruit, for the sake of her child, she was willing to have kindness on that horrible, horrendous mother. She was willing to put aside her difference with her and to show kindness to her in a roundabout way for the sake of her fruit, for the sake of what really matters. That's brotherly kindness. I don't think I would have it in me to do that if that was the case. Man. There are going to be issues, there are going to be problems that show up in here. Probably even is right now. We can't lose sight of the mission. We can't lose sight of our fruit and what really matters. So if there's things you're going through with others in here, you need to ask yourself, does this really matter? Or can I just let this go? Do I, and again, don't take this the wrong way. You can talk to your leaders about anything. Do not hesitate that. But don't misunderstand me when I say, Maybe there are times where you just think, do I need to even bring this to the leaders? Is this really an issue? Or can I maybe handle this myself? Or you know what? Maybe I don't even need to go talk with that person. There are some cases where you need to go talk to that person. But maybe there are cases where you just let it go. And watch how God rectifies it and corrects it himself. can't even tell you the amount of times that's happened just with us in the last couple of months. Where you, do I need to address this issue? I know I want to. I know I'd like to get my sword out and start slaying. We're just going to let it happen. Let God take care of it. Let Him rectify it. And sure enough, He did. Letter B. All right, back to Revelation chapter 3. This will be the last place you turn to. Revelation chapter 3. So in letter A, we saw Philadelphians hold fast to the key of David, knowing that it opens doors no man can shut. Letter B, Philadelphians who keep God's word avoid unnecessary tribulation with others as they put aside their differences to worship together. Can I get a reader for verses 9 and 10 in Revelation 3? Sam. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of, synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do I. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon it. These two verses we talked in church history about you know, those who were part of the synagogue of Satan, those who said they were the true church, but really they were the enemies of God, 
We talked about how during this time in church history, from 1500 to 1900 AD, man, those enemies, they were coming and they were seeing what the real gospel has to say and they were bowing down before true brethren and they were giving their lives over to Christ. And they were worshiping together because now they had things in common and they actually were brothers. So verse 9 is talking about, and in verse 10, we talked about how God was promising because this church was so faithful, they were not going to be the church that brought in the tribulation period. They were not going to see that hour of temptation that shall come upon the whole world that we're talking about on Wednesday nights. They weren't going to see it. That's doctrinally the picture there, historically how it works out. But for us, when we keep God's word, we're going to avoid, we're going to avoid unnecessary tribulation with each other. There are times you get into fights with people where it seems like you're going through seven years of a great tribulation period. And it doesn't need to be that way. When you put aside your differences and worship together, how does that happen? Well, point one, it says that God will make your enemies to be at peace with you. That's what Proverbs 16, 7 says, but there's a, a, a qualifier to that. Anybody know what it is? When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with them. Case in point, Genesis 27:41 And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him and Esau said in his heart The days of mourning for my father are at hand then will I slay my brother Jacob made an enemy of his own brother because he got involved in the affairs and business of something that was not his own He stole his brother's birthright Instead of minding his own business, he got involved with the business of something else. And he made an enemy of his own brother. But then he'd fast forward a couple chapters. Genesis 33, 4. And Esau ran to meet him, Jacob, and embraced him, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. But understand what had to happen right before that. Jacob wasn't walking with God. His ways did not please God. So God had to pick a fight with him and break him. Threw down, made him tap. And when he was broken, in his brokenness, as Jacob latched on to God, he said, I'm not going to let you go except you bless me. Then his ways pleased him. And he made even his enemies to be at peace with him. Do you have enemies? Let me ask you this. Are you blameless? You know what's significant about the word blameless? It's the first character quality in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that's not only talking about for ministry. If you have a desire to be in ministry, you ought to be blameless. It's the very first quality that's listed. But it's just a good quality to have as a believer in Christ, to be blameless. In other words, what I'm getting out with that is, do you have enemies? Do you know if you even have enemies? Are you creating any enemies that you don't realize? In other words, guys, be careful about getting involved in other people's affairs that are none of your business. Be careful with getting involved in other people's affairs that is none of your business. Especially if you don't know the whole story and you're only hearing one side of the story from your best friend. This is huge. 
this will destroy a church and it will destroy churches. Be very, very careful. You might side with your best friend because of what they said about a certain someone or a certain issue or an incident. But if you don't go and search out the matter and hear the full side of the story and hear that other person's side of the story, you might be creating an enemy that you don't realize because, well, it's my best friend. My best friend wouldn't lead me astray. They wouldn't tell me something that's not the complete whole truth about this issue. Be careful. You need to hear both sides of the story like Solomon did. And then you know what you do? You present a sword. Because a sword will discern the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and you'll have wisdom. You'll know what the full side is so you know how to make a proper decision. Be careful. Jacob got involved with something that was none of his business with his brother's birthright, and he created an enemy out of it. Be careful. Number two. After you speak righteousness to and pray for your brothers and sisters, you're at odds with. He'll make enemies be at peace with you, but you have to speak righteousness. And you have to pray for your brothers and sisters. Out of everything Job went through, Hannah, Megan, are you guys still going through Job right now? Yeah. Have you finished? No. no. Sorry, spoiler alert. Cover your ears if you need to. You know what actually ended Job's trial? You know what turned his captivity and how he got everything back and more? What is it? When he prayed for his friends, his supposed brothers, when he prayed for them, God turned his captivity. When he spoke righteousness to them, God turned his captivity. Speaking righteousness, you know what Proverbs 15, 1 and 2 says? It says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness, just vomiting out foolishness. Got to be careful. Let her see. Look at verse 11 of Revelation chapter 3. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. We talked about some of those pillars in Philadelphia, some of those faithful saints and all the work they did. You can be a pillar too in this day and age. And he shall go out no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Let us see Philadelphians hold fast to what they have, knowing how fast he's coming back. What do you hold fast to that you have? The Word of God and the only other thing that's going to be here for eternity, the souls of men. You hold fast to the Word of God and hold fast to each other. You'll be a pillar. Because you'll realize in point one that there is no time for petty differences amongst the pillars. Do you want to be a pillar of God? Do you want to be like Adoniram Judson? you want to be like C.T. Studd? you want to be like, like David Livingstone? you want to be like Jonathan Edwards? Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Holy smokes. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Are you going to be willing to let him in so that you can willingly offer yourselves to your brothers who need it? Come in full circle with this one. Not only that, Galatians 5, 
26, let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. You want to be a pillar in the house of your God? You want to do something for God? Don't be desirous of vainglory. Don't provoke one another to wrath, anger, malice, all the works of the flesh. And don't envy one another. Stop thinking about what that person's walk is like and what that person's walk is like and how can I ever be like that person. Stop. Just walk with God. Let Him grow you. Add these things to your faith and you'll be fine. It's simple. Don't, don't make it complex. In 1 Peter 4.9, use hospitality one to another without grudging hospitable. You ought to be like a hospital. Yes, you. You're a temple. You're, you should be a place of healing and a place of refuge for people who need it. We all need it from time to time. We can't all act like we're, we don't need it, that we don't need each other because we do. We do. So be hospitable. Show yourself friendly if you want to have friends. Number two, we must continue in fellowship constantly and spur each other onwards until the end. Hebrews 10. Turn over there. A few pages to your left. 1 John 3, 8, 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word. That's what the Pharisees do. That's what religious people do. They love in word only. Don't tell somebody you love them if you're not going to show them the love of Christ and show brotherly kindness. But indeed... And in truth. In other words, don't just show it in deed either, but make sure it's sincere. Remember we talked last week, the effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous? That's what it means to be intentional. That means to continue therein. It has to be sincere in truth. Hebrews chapter 10. Oh, don't forget this verse. Actually, you should memorize this verse. These verses, Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. What day? The day. The day we're talking about on Wednesday nights. You're seeing we don't have much time left. So we don't have time to mess around. We don't have time to argue over petty things. Sober up. Anytime we're together, make every effort you can to be together. And don't forsake that. Whether it's an official church event or not. So much more so as you see the stuff we're going through on Wednesday night's coming. We need each other. Why? Because of what we're going to look at next week. We will not have charity on the lost world if we don't have brotherly kindness here first. That's why he ordered and structured it the way that he did in 2 Peter 1. And if we don't add this to our faith, we are blind and we're not going to see afar off. We will have no vision. And when there is no vision, what? People perish. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very, very much for your love, that you loved us as a brother, even when we were yet sinners and enemies of the cross of Christ. We thank you so much for who you are. Pray that we would have brotherly kindness here. God, change this youth group around. There's no major issues that I know about going on in here. But God, if there is, sort it out, please. And if there is, and protect us. Let these verses in these last two weeks, may they just be like armor 
May they, be, may they be Kevlar to us, that breastplate of righteousness that we know what to do so that we, when those fiery darts of Satan come, they bounce right off of us and we don't let Satan get a foothold in creating division here in our ranks. We love you, Lord. Pray we continue to glorify you. You're so richly deserving of. In Jesus' name, amen.